I want to say uh, hello and welcome to those of you who are new here. My name is Alex, uh, and we're delighted for joining us here for the very first time. Thanks for getting up on a Sunday morning and being a part of things, whether that's here in person or online. Uh, what we're all about is really simple, connect people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is week four of a series called Won't You Be a Neighbor? Uh, Jesus, when he was asked, what's the most important command in the whole Bible? He said, well, number one, love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And my proposal has been that it's never been harder to do the uh, number two commandment in the whole Bible than it is right now between COVID and political kind of polarization, it has never been harder for us to love our neighbor than it is in 2022. And what I want to say is like, I don't have to do this. It's 2022. It's hard. But the bad news is there's no like dispensation on the second commandment just because it's 2022, right? Just because of COVID and the challenges. There, there's no, no era in human history where the first and second commandments don't apply to each one of us. And if you haven't noticed, not a whole lot of people trying to do this. So we're in the gym here on Sunday mornings during the series, learning what does it mean for us to actually love our neighbors the way that Jesus called us to, to actually love the people that God's put all around us. It's kind of a crazy world right now. It just is. And maybe we can't change the whole community, but here's what we can do. We can create a counterculture for the common good. We can love our neighbor, no matter who they are no matter how they voted, no matter what they put on Facebook or Twitter. We can love our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus called us to. Now today, we're going to talk about the simple challenge that when we start talking about loving our neighbors without exception, it uh, gets us in trouble because people are messy, amen? I mean, not you, of course. Nobody in here is messy. No. But the people out there, out there, they're messy, right? There's messy people everywhere. Last week, I invited you to sort of list three people who are your neighbors, coworkers, uh, fellow students, classmates, whatever, that you're going to pray for. And on your list of those three, my guess are at least one of them is messy, Messy for you personally, just difficult for you to love in any kind of ways. And, and, and part of the challenge of the fact that people are messy is people are a messy in dizzyingly creative ways, right? All kinds of ways people can get messy. And so there's no one formula for how you love messy people because their people are a mess in all kinds of different ways and their mess interacts with our mess in different kind of ways. And so if we're going to actually love our neighbors, all of them, without exception, even the ones that are a little bit messy for us, we're going to have to learn from Jesus how to do this. We're going to need some holy creativity and some, and some wisdom for how to do this. In fact, and we're going to need Jesus to change our hearts for some of us because, man, sometimes the messy people, they're not just kind of messy in a funny way, they're messy in a really hard way for some of us. So we're going to look at a passage where Jesus deals with a couple of different messy people. He's going to help us, all of us, to figure out together how do we love the messy people around us in the way that Jesus calls us to, the whole scripture calls us to. We're going to get some tutoring from Jesus and ask him to give us the Holy Spirit to help us to do this a little bit better. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, you can join there with me. If not, it'll be on the screen and on the screen in front of you here in a minute. In Luke 7, we're still early on in Jesus's ministry. He's got some light antagonism from the Pharisees, but they're not quite ready to kill him yet. And he gets invited over to a Pharisee's house where Jesus has a delightful run-in with a couple of messy people that helps us to figure out how do we love messy people as well. Luke 7, starting in verse 36, goes like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, 
kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Well, one of my little hobbies when I was in college was I, I would DJ house parties. I know, right? So cool. Um, house, like DJing a house party is like crack cocaine for extroverted people pleasers, okay? Like, you play music, the whole place explodes with energy. You're like, yes, dopamine. That's great. And if you bomb, if it fails, you got three minutes and 45 seconds to do it again. Try again. Make everybody happy, right? Now, this, this has unexpectedly been revived in the last few years. I actually uh, have DJed a few weddings. In fact, uh, for Caitlin's wedding, who was just up here a second ago, and Peter, who's playing the electric, I pastored, officiated their wedding, and then 60 seconds later, I DJed the party. I was Pastor Alex and DJ AK, all in like one breath. Yes. Don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a box. So as I've rediscovered the joy of, house, uh, of DJing parties, how much fun it is, I have teenagers. They have dances at their school. <laughs> and every now and then, just to poke the button, I'm like, how about I DJ one of your parties and your dances at your school? Wouldn't that be awesome? And their favorite response is, stay in your lane, Dad. Stay in your lane. Yeah, because if you're a teenager, there's, there's few things more awkward than having your dad manning the DJ booth, especially if he bombs, right? That's like the worst thing in the world. Awkward, right? Like that would be just so awkward is like a prime thing that you want to avoid as a teenager. You don't want to have, especially, in fact, you don't even want to have parents when you're a teenager, right? You want to, you want to have spontaneously exploded into the world. But it's awkward, right? So a prime directive for all teenagers is awkward, but here's what's happened in a social media age. All of us want to avoid awkward, right? We, have so, we work so hard to kind of curate, all right, iron out the awkward with our, our, our public presence. That's so much of what our culture is, is sort of spin and picture and kind of image management. It's such a big deal. And even if you're not into social media, right, this, no one recreationally enters into awkward, right? Like life's hard enough. Let's just avoid awkward people, awkward situations. Well, in the story we just read, a Pharisee invites Jesus over into his house. This is a small town. And these big dinner parties, it helps, helps understand the picture of this, right? So it's a small town, and in, in, in a wealthy person's house, they would have a big courtyard that you could see from the outside. And the big dinner parties that they would throw would be in these outdoor courtyards that you could see from the outside. And, and, the, and people would come and, and watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous in their town eat together. It was like a social status sort of thing. So there's people from the town kind of gawking and watching this, this party, and they're kind of around, and the, it's an open courtyard, so it's accessible. And in walks this woman who's described as living a sinful life, likely a prostitute. That's sort of Bible code for what that means. And, and in that time, people reclined at low couches with their kind of head facing the table and their feet out away from the table, and their sandals are off. And this woman comes in who's not invited to the party, and she has got this alabaster jar of perfume. Perfumes were very prized in the ancient world, probably the most expensive thing that she owned. And the jar was like a sealed jar. It was like a, a single use only. You cracked it open, and that was your one time using your most precious gift. And so she approaches Jesus as he's reclined at this table, and she starts weeping and cleans his feet with her tears and then she lets down her hair which in the first century uh sort of jewish world that was sort of inappropriate in public for a woman to let down her hair and she kisses his feet like some rabbis you would get we'd have records of rabbis feet being kissed but it was very rare in the ancient world and then she anoints jesus's feet with this perfume and normally anointing happens on the head but this is probably a an act of su submission servant right the servants were the ones that washed people's feet and so 
this was sort of this moment. So how's this for an awkward dinner party movement moment? In walks this woman, this house party. <laughs> and she's weeping loudly and washing feet. And everyone knows who she is, right? She's, it's a small town. And, and, and maybe, uh, maybe, as someone pointed out to me this week, maybe some of her customers and clients are there at the dinner party. Hoping that they don't get outed there in front of everybody at the dinner party. I want you to think, let's imagine you're going to have a Memorial Day cookout in a couple weeks. I want you to imagine the person you least would want to come. The person who's going to start the awkward conversation, is going to have the political conversation, is going to have the whatever conversation that you don't want to have. I want you to picture that's the person that crashes this party at, at Simon the Pharisee's house. It's an awkward moment for him. It's difficult. Everyone's sort of frozen and watching this whole thing. I want us to watch how Simon responds and how Jesus interacts with him uh, going on to verse 39. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, Ha ha, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. All right, so Simon has this conversation in his head. And, and, and what we see from this is that Simon has uh, a lot of doubts about Jesus. Right now, a lot of the religious leaders had doubts about Jesus. And, and this confirms his bias. I knew he wasn't really a teacher, not really a prophet, because if he was a prophet, then he would know who this woman is, that she is a sinner. But perhaps the problem is that Simon's got the wrong picture of what a prophet is, a prophet does. So Jesus answers the internal dialogue, right? So Simon didn't say anything aloud, but Jesus kind of has a sense of what he's thinking. So Jesus speaks to him. I have something to tell you, Simon. Now, often when I'm talking to people who are exploring faith, and many of you are here exploring faith, we're so glad you're here. Sometimes people will say something to me like, I just wish Jesus would speak to me. And I look at passages like this, are you so sure? Because listen, here's a, here's a setup. Anytime you're in the Gospels, you read, Jesus says, I have something to say to you, batten down the hatches. Because he's often got something to say that's very direct and corrective. Here's where Jesus goes. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Denarius is one day's wages. So 500 days wages. The other 50 days wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Haha, <laughs> you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Are any of you like into art and art museums? Any of you like love art and art museums? Any of you? Yeah, a few hands go up. Y'all are so much cooler than me. Like, I'll go to an art museum, right, accidentally. <laughs> and I'll walk through and I'm like, nice, okay, fine. But you look at an art piece and you can see it. And I don't see it because we can look at the same piece the same thing and not see the same thing one of my favorite things about jesus is how he sees people if you don't know what to do in the bible if you're kind of like lost or between things spend the next couple weeks spend five minutes a day just read through matthew mark luke and john and look where it says jesus sees jesus saw jesus sees jesus saw because he sees like nobody else sees and he attends like no one else attends so Jesus asks Simon this very obvious question. Do you see this woman? Of course Simon does. It's this awkward moment. Everyone sees her, but he doesn't actually see her. Here's what he sees. What he sees is what he thought in his head. He saw her, Simon saw her, and she is a sinner. Here's where I'm going with this. 
when you see persons as categories you can dismiss rather than persons to love, you are seeing like a Pharisee, not like Jesus. When you start seeing people as categories that you can dismiss, ignore, that I don't have to love instead of persons, then you're seeing like Pharisees instead of like Jesus. Now, part of what's tricky about this is the woman is a sinner. I mean, the whole thing about her owing like 500 days wages, like she has a large debt. Jesus is not unaware of the debt that she has. There is genuine sin at work, and Jesus isn't going to ignore that. He just sees the woman underneath the sin. He sees the person. Because see, before she was a sinner, she was made in God's image and beloved by God, and that was truer and predates being a sinner. And so Jesus, in his grace and mercy, refuses to relate to people based solely on their mistakes. Isn't that good news? Merry Christmas seven months early. You are not the sum of your mistakes. The grace of the Lord sees you underneath your mistakes. And those mistakes need to be dealt with. But before any mistake was made by you or any mistake made against you, you were made in God's image, beloved by God. And what Jesus has come to do is to free us from the sin that dehumanizes us and robs us of life to make us once again into children of the most high God. Summarize it this way, a little bit differently. Jesus sees a woman. Simon sees a category of people that he thinks he doesn't have to love. Jesus sees a person. Simon sees a category of persons, of people that he's put in a bucket, says, I don't have to love these people. People. My friends, in our politically charged climate, it is so tempting for you and me to put people in categories of people that you think you don't have to love. And that, my friends, is the spirit of this world that is not the Holy Spirit, and we're called to repent. The spirit of this world says, if this person voted that way, this person says that on Facebook or on social media or on next door, if this person believes that, then they are a category of people that I don't have to love because they drive me crazy or because they disagree with this or that or whatever. And my friends, I'm not saying that those things aren't real. I'm just saying that there is no category of neighbor that you're not called to love in Jesus Christ, whatever that looks like, however that means, however that works out. And I'm not saying, again, that like all politics is good. I'm not saying that every belief or category is right. I'm not even saying any of that. Like, like there, certainly people rebel against God. Certainly people are foolish and make decisions or say things that are completely contrary to God. So I'm not, dis I'm not discounting any of that, any of that, any of that. But those of us who follow Jesus, we are called to fight, 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 to keep our hearts soft toward God and toward our neighbor that we disagree with. There is no place in following Jesus where we're allowed to harden our hearts against our neighbor called to love our neighbor, even and especially our enemy, even when we disagree with them strongly. Jesus sees this woman, and he's going to give to Simon a little bit of tough love. Here's how Jesus rolls us out. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. For some of us, the only thing worse than making a mistake is having someone pointed out publicly. 
Jesus is going to take this parable and land it right at Simon's front door, literally at Simon's front door. He says this, I came to your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. This was common courtesy, common hospitality when people wore sandals and walked in dirt roads. And you shared those dirt roads with large beasts of burden who deposited large beasts of burden deposits wherever they went. So you needed water for your feet. This was common courtesy. You did not give me a kiss, Jesus says. This was also common greeting, especially for a respected rabbi or a teacher. You did not put oil on my head. Olive oil was relatively cheap and common. And again, for someone who was an honored guest, you would have anointed their head. See, Simon was communicating something to Jesus from the very beginning. And what he communicated to Jesus was, you're not that important. Jesus was slighted by Simon from the, from the moment he arrived at the party. Ever been slighted before? Ever like think you've been slighted by someone and then the small slight adds up to another small slight, adds up to another small slight, adds up to another small slight to realize, no, 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 there's something happening here, right? This is a thing. It's not even that big, but there's a whole bunch of things that are driving me a little bit crazy. What does it make you do when you realize someone is sliding you? What do you want to do back? Get back. Ugh. My wife and I had dinner with someone 15 years ago. I can still picture it like yesterday. <laughs> Invited them to our house. They were utterly uninterested in anyone but themselves. They were so self-absorbed, so smug, so like pretentious. I was like, get out of my house. You're driving me crazy. 15 years later, I can still feel it. Ugh. <laughs> we have mutual friends. When their names come up, I'm like, oh, those people are crazy. <laughs> pray for me. Just pray for me. <laughs> people slide us. It adds up. It accrues. And conversely, do you know anyone with the gift of hospitality? Oh, they wonderful, gracious generous, attending to people around them with such warmth as if they're the only persons in the room is one of the best gifts anyone can give. My friends, what does it mean to love our neighbors? I'm going to give you a couple things practically. What does it mean to love your neighbors? One, it means we kind of have to forgive the slights, big and small. We have to find the gear of forgiveness, big and small. Here's what, listen, here's what Jesus does. Jesus gets slighted at the front door. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't leave the party. Jesus gets slighted multiple times at the front door. He stays at the party, which then opens up the conversation that he has with Simon. It's going to invite him into the kingdom of God. We forgive slights, big and small. And the second thing we do, conversely, we offer radical hospitality, small, faithful steps of hospitality, finding ways to love and serve our neighbor that often, sometimes, not always, disarms smugness and pretentiousness and challenges and creates opportunities for more love to flow now of course jesus stands ready to forgive simon but he still tells him all the mistakes he made and here we are reading about it two thousand years later we know simon terrible house host two thousand years later we know simon he was a mess but here's the deal we're talking about loving our neighbors our messy neighbors and the woman is clearly messy right she makes a scene but you know what simon is also messy Simon is messy in a polished way. Simon is messy in a passive-aggressive way. Simon is messy in a very veneer, very professional, very polished sort of a way. But Simon is also, also messy. And Jesus is going to deal with the woman's mess, but he's not going to deal with the woman's mess and miss Simon's mess because Simon also needs to hear the good news that God so loved him that he sent his son to call him to repent of his sins. See, the woman is already clearly moved. The woman is already clearly moving in uh, repentance and sorrow for her sin and wanting to make a change. Simon is just sitting there getting more and more hardened in his heart. 
And so here's what Jesus does that loves Simon so much. He exposes Simon. And you know what he does? He invites her on the same journey as the woman, but get this, the prostitute is the head of the Pharisee. He says, Simon, the prostitute is ahead of you, the religious leader, the Pharisee. She's already repented. She's already sorry for her sins. She's already moving toward me in, in faith, hope, love, and repentance. So go follow the prostitute into the kingdom of God. Later, Jesus is going to tell all the religious leaders, hey, the tax collectors and prostitutes, they're way ahead of you. Go catch up with them. See, Jesus loves his neighbor. And when we think about Jesus calling us to love our neighbor, we, we think about it the way he loves the woman, right? Kindness and gentleness. But my friends, what he does to Simon is also love. And here's how Jesus loves Simon. He speaks a no that serves a larger yes of an invitation to the kingdom. Because every time God says no, it's always there to serve as larger yes. Every time God says no, it's always there to serve as larger yes. Every single time in the scripture or in your life, when God says no to us, it's always there to serve a larger yes. No to Simon's self-righteousness and smugness in order to say yes to participating in the fullness of the kingdom of God. But it's going to take some work on Simon, on his heart, to be willing to follow the prostitute into the kingdom of God. My friends, here's the thing. Kindness is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. Sometimes not even the most important thing, although it's mixed in always because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Everyone who's got kids knows you can be too kind to your kids. There is a no that serves a larger yes that Jesus speaks to Simon. And sometimes as, as Jesus' people, Jesus' followers, we are called also to speak God's no, a loving no, to serve the larger yes of an invitation into the kingdom. Now, as Jesus sort of contrasts Simon's slights and hospitality, he registers and recognizes the woman's faithfulness or service. Here's what, here's what the woman's done. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She has not stopped kissing my feet. She poured perfume on my feet. And the question I want to ask you this is this. Why would Jesus let her do this? Why would Jesus let her do this? Because here, like, I'll picture this is you. This, here's what you would have done. If you're there at Simon the Pharisee's house, here's what you would have done. And the woman comes, and she's weeping, and she's, she's starting to wash your feet. You're like, no, 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 stop. You don't need to wash my feet. Simon the slacker should have washed my feet. You don't need to kiss my feet. That's a little awkward. And besides, Simon the slacker should have kissed me at the front door. And by all means, don't use your most valuable possession, the alabaster jar of perfume. This is the most expensive thing you own. Don't use that on me. Don't serve me. Here's what I'm going to do for you, ma'am. I'm going to mow your lawn. I'm going to bake you a cake. I'm going to give you an Amazon gift card, and we're going to get you some counseling, okay? Because I'm Jesus, like the Son of God. I'm all taken care of. You need help. But here's what we underestimate. We underestimate two things, two things that work here while, while we misfire here on this. The first thing is we underestimate how voluntary service dignifies the person serving. We underestimate how voluntary service dignifies the person who is doing the serving. I remember talking to some missionaries once who were overseas. They would have short-term American missionaries come over for like a week. They'd build houses, do vacation Bible school, all kinds of good stuff. And the missionary would tell me stories of how when, the, when they were done with their week, the local people, the indigenous people would want to give them something, give them a bracelet or a necklace or something. And the Americans always said, no, no, no. Right? Don't give us anything. Now you can understand why. You understand what the Americans come and we see poverty. What the missionary says, but these people are valuable and have something to give to you. And when you reject their offer, you tell them you're not really a person with gifts and resources. You're just someone for me to help. 
and serve. You're just a project, not a person. So the missionary would, every week, would tell American, mission, tell American short-term people, all this enthusiasm, you are not just here to do something for them, they're going to give you something if your eyes are open. Because these people aren't a category, they're persons with gifts to offer us. Voluntary service dignifies people doing the serving. That's something that's happening. It's very important as Jesus sort of allows this woman to serve him. The second thing is this, that our pride keeps us from receiving from other people, right? Pride. No, no, no. I don't want it. I used this illustration a couple months ago, and it's come back up a couple times, and I'm going to read, I'm going to use it again because I want it to become a part of our vocabulary, okay? This is the 21 bowls of cereal situation, okay? Can you repeat that with me? The 21 bowls of cereal situation. Here's how this reads. You are going in for back surgery. You're going to be laid out on the floor for seven days. You can't, you can barely move for seven days. All your friends come and say, I want to make you meals. I want to make you food. You're like, no, 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 no. No one's bringing me meals. I would rather pour 21 bowls of cereal in a circle on the floor and flop around from bowl to bowl to bowl, from meal to meal to meal, risking further back injury and scurvy. <laughs> rather than have friends serve me and bring me a meal. Have you, my friends, here's the deal. Have you ever been in a, a spot where you actually needed help and you refused it? Have you ever had a 21 bowls of cereal reaction to someone who wanted to serve you, do something for you, and you said, no, 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 I'll figure it out. I got this. It's your pride talking. I want you to sort of be awake. Next time you reflexively reject someone wanting to serve you, I just want you to ask the question to yourself, is this a 21 bowls of cereal situation? Is this me doing foolish things rather than just receiving the gift of grace that's coming my way that would dignify the person that wants to serve. Is this a 21 bowls of cereal situation? Which doesn't mean that every person serving you is serving you in the right way. I'm in a conversation this week with someone who's got a great group of friends that want to give him money, and he's like, I don't need money. I need some meals and some childcare. So we're, he's kind of redirecting. Is that okay? Absolutely, redirect. Sometimes you've got to steer the energies, right, of helping people. But to refuse help is to refuse the grace available to them and to you through that help. So Jesus allows this woman to serve him recklessly. She pours out the best thing she has on his feet, and Jesus says, that is good. That is good. And in return, Jesus is going to bring his resources to bless the woman. Here's how the story closes, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus brings spiritual resources, forgiveness for sins. Jesus brings emotional resources, freedom from shame and guilt that this woman's been carrying maybe for years, maybe for decades. And then he leverages his social status as a mini public celebrity. He sides with her over the religious leader. He lends this woman credibility. And in front of this whole town, everyone's around gawking, he says, you're forgiven, and maybe, just maybe, this woman is no longer the sinner in the small town. Maybe, just maybe, she's the one who was forgiven by the great rabbi, the great teacher, Jesus. He restores her socially to the community. My friends, people around us are messy, aren't they? And if we're honest, we're a little bit messy too. And honestly, we're a little bit messy even in here. Even the person around you, in front of you, behind you, they might be a little bit messy as well. Some of us are messy like Simon, polished, 
professional, look good on the outside, but maybe a little bit proud, maybe a little bit smug, maybe a little bit passive aggressive, maybe a little bit any number of things. Some of us are messy like the woman. We got histories and backgrounds and we don't know how to do the thing and we're trying to make our way back, maybe trying to make our toward, way toward God, but man, it's a, it's a messy to the disjointed process. So my friends, how do we love our messy neighbors? How do we love our neighbors who are messy all around us? Well, that's today's wildly important take home. First, we pray. Asking for eyes to see like Jesus sees. That's the first wildly important take home. Maybe today, as you leave this place, your job, your only job, your primary job is to pray, God, would you give me the eyes to see the people around me like you see them? Maybe your primary thing is you go, maybe you go grocery shopping this afternoon, maybe you go to a restaurant, eyes to see. Jesus, give me your eyes to see. Jesus, give me your eyes to see. Jesus, give me your eyes to see persons, not categories, not buckets. Give me eyes to see the persons around you. I want to see like you see. Second thing I want to invite you to do, Messy Simons. What do you do with Messy Simons? I want to invite you to forgive slights, maintain relationship, and look for opportunities to speak truth and love. Forgive slights, maintain relationship in some way, shape, or form, and look for opportunities to speak truth and love. Jesus gets the opportunity to speak truth and love to Simon because he doesn't leave the party when Simon slights him. He doesn't turn around and walk out. He stays engaged with Simon. And then when the woman creates this crazy scene, he steps into the moment to speak a word of truth to Simon. Speaks truth and love. A strong no that serves the larger yes. My friends, who do you need to forgive right here, right now? Who do you need to forgive? That's a neighbor of yours. Workplace. Classmate. Physical neighbor right around you. Who do you need to forgive in order to stay in orbit? Now, this doesn't mean that you sort of stay vulnerable to bullies or unhealthy people. I mean, there's all kinds of unhealthy neighbors we have around us. Some of them you need to keep at arm's length, but can you stay in orbit so that when things fall apart, when the humbling moment comes, and the humbling moment comes for all of us at some point, right? You're positioned, have opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak a hard no that serves a larger Yes. Do you have messy Simons in your life? Who are the messy Simons that God's invited you to forgive right here, right now in order to love your neighbor, maybe stay in orbit around them and look for opportunities to speak the truth and love? A hard no. It serves a larger yes. Messy woman, messy people all around us. What do we do with that? Well, we got to be okay with mess. We got to abandon some of our cultural norms for status or who we try to hang out with and who do we try to connect with and who looks good on us. And we got to be okay with awkward people and messy processes. We've got to be willing to, mess, to, to, to love messy people, be okay with awkward situations, awkward processes. I mean, the whole thing this woman does is a scene. And Jesus doesn't avoid the scene, doesn't negate the scene. Jesus allows the scene to create the moment where he speaks to her. In fact, he, in fact, he uses this moment to leverage his credibility against Simon to welcome this woman into his kingdom. What do you think it did to Jesus' status among the elites that Jesus forgives the woman publicly? What do you think it did to Jesus' opinion of the religious leaders about Jesus? What do you think it did to him? You know what? Good news. He didn't care. He didn't care the religious leaders didn't like him because he forgave the sinful woman. He didn't care. He doesn't care that being associated with messy people brings down his social status. He doesn't care. Isn't that good news? But here's the bad news. We do care. Some of us care a lot. And so for us to let go of sort of uh, what our standing is or who we associate with and what they do to us or what other people think about us, if we hang around those types of people, we're going to do some work around that and be willing to welcome awkward people, awkward neighbors and, neighbors, and be okay with people who are a little bit messy in process. Finally, I want to invite you to dignify messy serving. 
by allowing voluntary service that dignifies people and resists the 21 bowls of cereal situation. When we allow people to serve us, it's a great thing. In fact, you know, the best thing that could have happened in this whole story for Simon is he served Jesus. Wouldn't that have been great? If, Jesus had ser- if Simon had served Jesus, his soul might have been saved in that moment. It would have been the, the turning point for him. So we dignify people by affirming acts of service, voluntary service. We resist our pride that pushes others away. We're open to the fact that our neighbors, even the poorest among them, have gifts to offer us. And then we're wide awake to how grace might flow from them to us and from us to them. And we participate in the virtuous cycle of loving our neighbors. My friends, people are messy. That's just the reality of it. Some of us don't like people and don't want to mess with people because they're messy. I totally get it. But the invitation from you and for, for you and for me is to follow Jesus and loving our neighbors and all their mess and entering in with the power of the Spirit to serve them, love them, allow them to serve us and, and, and love on us. And my hope and my prayer is that we might follow Jesus into genuinely loving our neighbors, even if nobody else around us is doing it, that we be part of God's kingdom coming, God's will being done in us and through us, and maybe even in spite of us, as it is in heaven, right here in our community. Maybe so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is not easy for some of us. Some of us can picture the messy people who are hard for us to love, and you're inviting us to forgive them, engage with them, and we feel that resistance in our flesh. So, good Father, we pray for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit to actually love our neighbors the way you invite us to. Help us. Lord Jesus, to walk in the beauty and the grace of the second commandment, to actually love our neighbors as ourselves. Would you help us to do so? Lord, for my friends who are here, who are themselves on a journey spiritually, some of them, maybe some of them are coming in and seeking after you after a long time away. Lord Jesus, would you attend to them? Would you welcome them in? Would they have a sense of your great love for them? And Lord Jesus, some of us are messy like Simon, right here in this room. Maybe we're very religious polished but we got these things in our hearts that are smug and proud so lord jesus for all of us messy simons myself included who would like to dismiss people or um look good on the outside lord would you forgive us would you give us new hearts new spirits help us to walk in your grace and your love to love and serve our neighbors the messy simons like us the messy women around messy woman characters around us and give us your strength and your love and your wisdom to walk in the power of the spirit to be good neighbors to love them as you did. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.